Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. <clears throat> Glad to have you here with us today. It's a beautiful day. So, so stoked on the weather. Hope you guys are too. Holy Toledo. I don't remember a March this nice. I hope I didn't just, you know, we don't believe in jinxes. <laughs> right? Right? Okay. Just making sure. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we're so thankful, Father, for your grace and your mercy towards us, Father. We pray that you would help us to understand, Lord, our, our own nature, Father, in comparison with your nature, so we can appropriately relate to you and to one another, Father. We pray that you'd fill our hearts with grace and mercy and love, uh, Lord, as we learn and understand the truth. Father, we ask, Lord God, that you would cover these verses with us this morning and that you would speak them to our hearts, Father. I cannot possibly fathom what each, what each of these people need to hear from you today, Father, but you know each and every one of them intimately, Lord. You know every single hair that's on their head, Father. You know every thought, every desire, every hurt, and every hope, Father. And so I pray that in light of your knowledge and understanding of them, that you by your Holy Spirit would instruct them this morning and train them and teach them and exhort them and encourage them, Father, uh, and that they would see your face, Father, maybe for the first time clearly, Lord, and understand how much you love them. Uh, Lord, have your way in us and through us and in this place today, Father. We pray that you be with Jill Putman uh, while she's out uh, teaching people and talking to people about New Hope uh, Pregnancy Crisis Center, Father. We ask and pray that you would bless her words this morning and that you would bless that ministry uh, and the great work, Father, that it does. Lord, we pray for the unborn children of this land, Father, who are being slaughtered. Uh, we pray, Father, for the mothers, Father, who have been deceived. Uh, and we pray, Father, for the land that we live in, Father. We understand and we know and we see, Lord, in the days that we live in that sin and darkness has crept in more and more, uh, Father, into every aspect of our lives. And as your word says, Father, we don't want to be overcome by evil, but we want to overcome evil with good, Lord. And we can't do it through politics, Lord, and we can't do it through uh, aggression, Lord, Father, but it's, but it's to be done by love, Lord, just the way Jesus Christ, your son, did it. And just the way his apostles did it, so help that to be each of our hearts as well, Father. And it's in his beautiful name that we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 24. We're going to be talking a little bit about divorce this morning, amongst some other things. <clears throat> um, but I think that it's... Uh, important and appropriate for us to have a biblical grasp, uh, well, on everything, right? On everything according to life. The, the, everything that we need, the Bible says, for life and godliness is found in our knowledge of Him. And uh, the two ways that we come to a knowledge of Him is first and foremost through our study of the Word, uh, and then from there in our relationship with Him and our speaking to Him and His relating to us and moving us through this life. Uh, everything that we need for life and godliness is found there in our knowledge of Him. So, I think this is an important one uh, for us, and, but for our time, the time that we live in. Um, you know, we going through the Old Testament, and, and you see the way God laid out things to be. Uh, you know, this is an agrarian society, and it was a simpler time. You know, 50 years ago, 80 years ago in this country, it was a simpler time. Uh, we have so many distractions, uh, and our lives are so unbelievably full and unbelievably busy um, that it's very difficult. And, and, and just the culture that we live in, really just the culture itself doesn't allow for families to operate within the biblical principles and guidelines that God gave to us. 
Um, and, and so, you know, when we're going through the Old Testament, one of the things that you'll hear me say repeatedly is that God was dealing with the world as it is or as it was, uh, not as he wished it would be. And it's in the sense where God comes to his people and he says, you live in a crooked and perverse generation. You live in, a, in the midst of darkness and great evil. And so I'm going to interject my light and my life and my truth into your hearts and into your minds and into your understanding. And then you take that with you into the dark places. You take that with you into the world, and you show people in your life how it looks to be walking in the light so that they can see hope in you, and they can see something that's different in you. We go through the same crap as everyone else goes through, right? You know, Christians are not exempt. You know, this idea that, that Christians, because of our faith, should be exempt from, 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 from uh, sickness or disease or poverty or any other is silliness. It's nonsense, and it is a means by which people get stuff from other people. Uh, that is not the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We are not here to fight. We are not here to be rich. We are not here to be wealthy and to be hashtag blessed, right? We are here because we were bought with a price. We were bought with the price, the greatest price that's ever been paid for anything in all the eons and ages of all eternity, past, present, and future. The blood of Jesus Christ was poured out for you and for me. It was poured out so that my wicked, miserable, dark, evil, abominable heart and sin could be cleansed so that I could be purified so that I could be put into the service of the king almost in spite of myself. And he's given within me this hope and within you as well, this hope and this, this great and glorious longing in our hearts for the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that finally we'll be like him when we see him as he truly is and we'll be able to really worship him and we'll be able to really serve him the way we've never been able to before simply because of the days and the age that we live in, but mostly because of who we are, because of our own sin and because of our own shortcomings. The Bible says that all of nature groans with longing and expectation to be freed from the bondages of sin. You know, that's what we look around in the world that we see today and the condition that it's in today. The issue is, the problem is the same as it's always been, is choice. God gives mankind the ability and he created us with the ability to choose, to make a decision. We have to choose to serve Jesus Christ. We have to choose to serve God. We have to choose to walk in the light. Now, the difference between you and someone who is not born again of the Spirit is, because, is, is that in you, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you actually have the ability to do it. When, you're not, when people who are not walking with Jesus Christ, who are not born again, who do not have the Holy Spirit of God living within them, you have to understand they don't have the ability to live their lives according to God's will. We should never be angry with them for that. We should never have a bad attitude them, for them because of that. We should pity them. And we should have compassion for them. And we should have empathy for them. And we should show love to them. And we should pray for them. Because we who understand ourselves and understand the truth of God's word and his grace realize that we are no better than anybody else. 
We simply have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit, and have been given an ability to do something that without the Spirit we are unable to do. And that is to live the life that God has called us to live and to walk in the light. It's a choice. You have a choice because of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. You have a choice. We have a choice. We get up every single morning and we can choose to walk in the flesh. How many have ever sung in that choir? Or we can choose to walk in the Spirit. Well, that's just very simplistic. Yeah, hello. We all like sheep have gone astray. You know why God compares us to sheep? Because they dumb. They're dumb. What do you think, sheep? You know, and all walk over the cliff, they'll go together. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to its own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And so we've been given this ability. You can simply get up in the morning and say, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ today. God, I'm available to you today. Lord, I want to be used by you today. I pray that you would use me in my, at my job. I pray that you would use me in my marriage. I pray that you would use me in my parenting. I pray that you would use me in every aspect of my life to do what you've called me to do and to be a light for other people, to show people hope, to show people that there's something beyond all of this. Because as the Bible says, if it was only in this life and in this world that we had hope in Christ, we would be above all men the most pitiable. There is no ultimate hope in this life. From the dust we came and to the dust we will return. But the hope of glory, the hope of the redemption of our earthly bodies and of our spirits to God Almighty through Jesus Christ, that's the fuel That's the blood that pumps through the heart of a born-again Christian. It ought to be anyways. Easier said than done, isn't it? Because we make the wrong choices. We make the wrong choices. What is divorce about? It's about choices. Now listen, when I say that, I'm not just saying, you made a bad choice, you're bad, but But it's about choices. If If a couple gets married, okay, if a couple gets married, and they say, we're gonna live every single day unto Jesus Christ, and this marriage is to glorify him. They ain't getting divorced. And when they have a problem, they'll bring it to the Lord, and they'll say, Lord, show my husband how wrong he is. Show my wife how wrong she is. But Lord, this is for you. This is for you. I don't have the right to divorce my wife. Because I cried out in the darkest times of my days for God to save me and rescue me and to bring me a wife to keep me in check. And boy, did he in spades, right? And he brought her to me and he gave her to me. And I stood in front of God and I stood in front of witness and I pledged myself to this woman until the day that I die. And I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and she's a daughter of the Most High God. I don't have the right to deal with her treacherously. I don't have the right to be disloyal to her. I don't have the right to treat her in any other way than the way God has called me to treat her, as Christ treats the church and loves her and gave himself for her. It's not what you can do for me. It's what can I do for you? Now, here's the problem, guys. The problem is what it is everywhere, sin. That's the problem, sin, and we are all affected by it. We are affected by sin when we weren't the one that did the sin, aren't we? This whole world, the Bible says, lies under the sway of the evil one. Because just as Adam and Eve pledged their allegiance to themselves and by doing that to Satan instead of God in the garden, 
so the world has done the same thing. And they've all cried out together in unison, just as the people did before Pontius Pilate, we will not have this man to rule over us. But we're going to do it our way, and we're going to live our lives our way, and we're going to do what we think best. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. Look how free we are. Women, look how liberated you are today. Women are more objectified than they've ever been in light of all the freedom and liberation. I'm for equal rights. Don't ever get it twisted. I'm for evil, equal, e evil rights. Goodness gracious. That's what the world's for is evil rights. I'm for equal rights. My wife's better than me, <laughs> okay? She's a better person than I am. She is wonderful. She runs the house. People say, what's going on this week? I say, what do you ask? I just work here. <laughs> Don't ask me. Ask her. You know, and there's this, there's this, there's this, 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 this hope of freedom. And this, this, this lie that be, women are told all over the world today that this is what it looks like to be a free and liberated and independent woman. And it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. I'm 100% for equality. And so is God. So is the Lord. The things that he puts in scriptures and the way that he set up the family... And he says, this is the way the family ought to, be, ought to be conducted. This is the way your lives ought to be lived as a family in, in me and walking in my light and according to the truth of my word. Why? Because he created us. Because he invented marriage. Because he invented family. This is the user's manual. This is the owner's guide for marriage, for life, for everything. And so God says, if you do the best that you can to walk according to this and to live your life according to this and to conduct your marriage according to this, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. It's amazing to me how many people will run and run and run in the opposite direction of the blessing while screaming out, I want the blessing. The blessing is found in our obedience to God and to his word. Let God be true and every man a liar. But I heard on Dr. Phil, but Oprah says, but this book says, but this Christian artist says, I just can't even begin to explain how much I don't care what these people have to say. It's like when science comes up with something it's like that kind of goes along with God's word. We're not like, yay, science. I don't give a rip. If science is for what the Bible says or against what the Bible says, I love it when God presents himself to Job finally at the end of that book, as Job is spending the whole book trying to justify himself before his miserable and awful friends who are trying to condemn him, and they're wrong, and he's trying to justify himself, and God just have to tell him, he's wrong. Where were you, Job? You want to question me? Then stand fast like a man, and I'm going to question you. Where were you when I cast the stars into the universe, and when I spoke it into existence? Where were you, Job? And there's only one thing and one response that we have. Oh, God, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean. This is not a popular message, by the way. Don't expect to hear clips of this message on your favorite radio station. It is not popular because the idea of repentance, the idea of weeping before God, the idea of mourning before God because of our sin and because of our wickedness and the abominations that live inside of each of our hearts is repugnant to the flesh. 
And in the world today, we have an entire generation of people that claim to want the blessings of God all while rejecting the truth of his word. And you can't have it. So here's what God says. Deuteronomy chapter 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies, who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So what God is preventing here and what God is talking about here is there was a, a, a well, it's a, it was a practice in ancient Egypt and it's a practice in, in the world today. And basically what, what you could do is just say, hey, you're not my wife anymore. Okay, fine. I'm going to go stay with Bill over here for a few hours, then I'll be back. And then, okay, then you'll be my wife again. Okay. It was an occasion for sin. It was an occasion for wickedness. And God didn't also want to let people off the hook to run along and to conduct their marriages along the whimsical natures of their own heart and of their feelings. You understand? Understand this. If you're going to put your wife away, if you're going to divorce your wife, this is the Mosaic law. We're going to get deeper into it according to what Jesus Christ had to say. But we're talking strictly the Mosaic law now. If you were to put your wife away, think it through. You better know. You better be sure because it's forever. It's forever. Once she goes and she becomes another man's wife, you may not take her ever back into your bed again. She's no longer your wife. Now, the certificate of divorcement was not a product of male chauvinist society. Male chauvinist society would just say, I'm done with you, be gone, bye-bye, see you later, good luck. But God says you write her this certificate of divorcement so that she has it in her hand so that she can prove she's no adulteress, she didn't do anything wrong, but you found some uncleanness in her. You found some... You understand that they were talking about what, what is an uncleanness? What is an uncleanness? And, and they had it detailed down. If she had really, really awful bad breath, get rid of her. No problem. No problem. You know what I'm saying? Honey, listen. <sighs> Have you tried gargling with gasoline? You know, anything? Have you tried? No. I can't be with you anymore. Can you imagine? But this is, some of the Pharisees had 12 wives, were married 12 times because they would find some uncleanness. You speak uh, harshly to me in public. Uh, you look at another man in public. Uh, you speak to my mother, to your mother-in-law <laughs> in a mean way. You burn my dinner. I could say, that's an uncleanness I found in you. Be gone with you. That's where they had brought it to. And so this is a protection for the woman so that when she went from that house and she had the certificate in her hand and she meets another guy who's single and he says, well, you know, what's the deal? I thought you were married. No, he divorced me. Why? He found an uncleanness in me. What, what was the uncleanness? Well, I, I burnt the toast. 
I, I spoke to his mother. Have you, have you met her? I spoke to her harshly. Have you, have you met her? <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait, he divorced you because of that? I think you're, I think you're wonderful. I think you're, I think you're fantastic. Anybody would be lucky to have you. When she, she could say, well, funny you should mention it. <laughs> and she could go be another man's wife. It was a liberty, it was a freedom that was given to her. It was a provision for her being dealt with treacherously by her husband. That's what the certificate is about. It was not for the purpose of men just being able to divorce their wife whenever. And we're going to get to that. And, and I already kind of talked about the, the evil practice that they had in Egypt, basically wife swapping is what God is, is, is also making an occasion to prevent. That is an abomination. As God is saying, it's an abomination. And we're going to get into uh, the reason why in a, in a more detailed way. Uh, in the book of Malachi, known to some of your Italian friends as Malachi, I'm just, I don't know, just, that was just free. Just a free insult for my Italian brothers and sisters. Love you guys. Malachi 2.16 this is what God says. The Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Here's why. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. It is violence in the eyes of God for us to deal treacherously with one another. God doesn't hate divorce the way that he hates murder. God doesn't look at a person who is divorced and go, you make me sick. And for many, many, many years, that's the way the church approached divorce. And, and people who were divorced had to wear like this scarlet letter or something like that, almost. It was like this, well, you know, oh, you're, 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 you're just always going to be that divorced person. That is not why God hates divorce. God hates divorce because it covers a man's garments with violence because it is a ripping and a tearing and a destruction of what God has brought together. And something that was meant to be the most sacred, the most beautiful, the most holy, and the most wonderful relationship that exists on planet earth, and the example that would be given to compare our relationship that we have to Jesus Christ, and the fact that we would rip that, the fact that we would tear that, and especially for some treacherous reason. God hates. He hates divorce. The same way you hate killer bees when they're coming after your kid, right? A, a bee in and of itself. You know, we need bees. We need bees, right? But when I got a hive of bees in my siding, you know what I'm saying? A giant hive and they're swarming everywhere. I call the exterminator and I say, you know those bees that we need so desperately? Yeah, come kill them all. Why? Because I don't want my kids getting all stung up. That's why God hates divorce. That's why God hates sin so much. It's not just because he's so holy and righteous and he looks at sin, he knows what it does. It rips, it tears, it separates, it divides. And that's not what God's intention ever was. Now, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, now this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Beatitudes when Jesus is teaching this. This is before his famous run-in later with the Pharisees when they ask him about divorce. This is what Jesus says in, uh, in, in the Beatitudes. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, the NIV says, uh, in the NIV translation, it says, he makes her the victim of adultery. Interesting. That's what Jesus said. He makes her the victim of adultery. Now, now if we skip forward to Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 10, the Pharisees also came to him testing him. You'd think they'd have learned, but, and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered, now, you know, he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? That's a whole other message. And said, yes, he made them male and female. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So, so then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Do you think Jesus was speaking figuratively? Do you think Jesus was just saying, oh, here's a cute hallmark statement. Put this on your cards when you spend your anniversary cards. The two become one. No, no. What Jesus is saying is in God's eyes and God's economy, when a man leaves his mother and father and is joined to his wife, the Bible, the other word that is used there is cleaves unto his wife, cleaves. You know, how you, you know what cleaving means? You're on a cliff, and you're holding on with one hand. How hard are you holding on? Cleaves unto his wife, and the two become one flesh, so that they are no longer two. When God looks at a married couple, you're one flesh. You're one flesh. And he wants us to have a symbiotic relationship with one another. He wants us to finish each other's sentences. He wants us to know each other's thoughts. He wants us, to, wants us to know every intimate detail about one another. He wants there to be no secrets between one another. And he certainly doesn't want us to deal treacherously one another. Because it's the closest relationship in the world that reflects the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. The two become one flesh. God's economy, not man's economy, God's economy. You're not two anymore. You're one. You're one. And just as you can't divide yourself, so you and your wife should not be divided. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Now, the Pharisees, and, and, and this is the, 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 the poor Pharisees, they didn't realize how stupid they were compared to Jesus. You know, they didn't know. They, they, they thought they were learned, wise, brilliant men, and they could trap people, and they could, they could set people up, and they could destroy people and have them excommunicated like that, like that. But they didn't know who they were dealing with. And they didn't understand that when Jesus Christ looks at you, He's not just looking at your countenance. He's not just looking at the color of your hair and your facial features. Jesus Christ, when he looks at you, he's looking into your heart. He's looking into your soul, and he immediately knows every single thing about you. And he knows, what, he knows more about you than you know about yourself. And you may not even know why you're asking a thing, but he does. And you can lie to men, and you can lie to your spouse, but you cannot lie to God. 
And Jesus knew exactly what was going on inside of these men's hearts. And that's why he called them out so harshly on so many occasions. You brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombstones, you abominable cup. Because outwardly you are pious and inwardly you're wolves. And so they would be at temple and they would see some young thing and go, that's nice. And then find a way to put the wife away. And it wasn't hard. It was easy. I don't like what you're wearing today. Be gone. Here's your certificate of divorce. And then go and marry the new young thing. That's why Jesus says it's adultery. Don't show me the law. Don't show me what the law says. I know what's in your heart. And your adulterer is in your heart. Jesus was saying to them. Um... Because of the hardness of your hearts, uh, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry Jesus goes on to say, not everyone can accept that, and not everyone can accept not being married. Uh, The purpose of the law, ultimately, is not to justify men before God, but to show us for the sinners we are. Because so often, when, when we have approached the Scriptures, when it comes to divorce, how can we justify it according to the Scriptures? How can I make this fit my circumstance and my situation? How can I make this work? Well, I think that marital unfaithfulness is more than just this and more than just that. I think it could be this and this and this and this. We're always trying to justify ourselves. That is not the purpose of the law. The law was never meant to justify us. The law was meant to show us who we really are before God. Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul said, I was footloose and fancy free, going along, doing my thing, and then the law showed up, and I'm undone, and I could keep most of them. But then when it says, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not even want to do the evil thing, he goes, it killed me, because I realized I am utterly and entirely a man of sin. And that's the purpose of the law. And that's the purpose of what Jesus taught. It wasn't to justify ourselves, my friends. It was to show us who we are. The laws concerning divorce are not for us to find a loophole that justifies it. The laws are to, number one, show the hardness of our hearts, right? That's what Jesus said. Why did did God give Moses the law? Why? Hardness of your hearts. Hardness of your hearts. Are we supposed to have hard hearts before the Lord? It's because of the hardness of your hearts. Number two, It was to show us how God sees the covenant relationship of marriage. That was the the, the completion of it in what Jesus taught us about marriage and divorce. So under the law, we have God dealing with the hardness of man's hearts. And in Jesus Christ, God shows us really what it's all about to him. He shows us this is how God sees marriage. And this is how God sees divorce. It doesn't matter what the law says. Just because I legally did something, it was legal, doesn't make it right. I mean, hello, look at the world you live in. Just because something's legal 
doesn't make it right. We know that. Uh, Matthew 5, 27 to 28. <laughs> this is where Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, obviously, Jesus used the word adultery, not fornication, didn't he? So who is he talking to? He's talking to married men. Now, it applies, okay? It applies to single guys. Okay, single guys, all right? It's not saying you could go walk around Destiny Mall going, oh, hey, baby, you know. That's, that's, but God is, Jesus Christ is specifically here talking to married men. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you that if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. This was written for married men and not bachelors. God wants our fidelity towards each other to be absolute as is his towards us. You've never cheated on your wife and you've never considered divorcing her, but have you ever looked upon another woman lustfully? Have you ever looked upon another woman? Now, ladies, I want to make some points to you this morning as well, okay? Again, Jesus Christ didn't say this because now you're a Christian, you should be men, you should never have lust in your heart ever again. Isn't that neat? Isn't that neat how that works? No problem, right? I never lust. Never. Never occurs to me even. Girls, ah! I'm not attracted to other women. I don't have the ability within myself, if I was King Solomon, to have 700 wives and 300 concubines. I'd have had 800. It is what it is. Women, let me tell you something about your man, okay? This is not being said, and this is God was not saying this, so that men would somehow shut off all lust in their hearts. Okay, it's over. No longer have lust in my heart ever, ever again towards another woman. No, no, no. Jesus was just showing us this is how God sees it, men. This is how God sees it. In other words, you're adulterers. Don't ever try to stand before God and justify yourself. You ever hate your brother in your heart? That's the spirit of murder. Slander, all of these things. It's wickedness. It's vile in the eyes of God. That's what Jesus is trying to show us. Women, pray for your husbands. Hold your husbands accountable. And if they come to you and ask you to help them, don't slap them in the face over it. How could you? How could you? as though they can live above reproach and have no sin in their lives at any point. Men are what men are. There's good parts, there's bad parts. Women, you got your own stuff. But this was not to justify anyone. The word of God and Jesus' words, when he goes beyond the law, he tells his disciples, listen, I'm telling you this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. What? What? How was that possible? Ultimately, what Jesus was teaching them and is teaching us, I want your hearts wide open before me. What's our response to these things? Seems like, what's the hope? What's the hope in all of this? <clears throat> God wants our fidelity. We said that. Here's our response. Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 to 4. 
And, and, and listen, let me back up a little bit. In no way, in no way am I justifying men's lust. I hope that was clear. In no way, shape, or form. It's never okay. It's never okay to look at a woman beside your wife lustfully. It's wickedness. It's an abomination. And yet here we are. And we got a bunch of people who walk around and they have to pretend like they don't do it. Lest they be judged. They got to pretend that they don't have a problem. And God wants the opposite from us. Brother, brother, help me. Pray for me right now. I'm having a rough day, man. My eyes are going crazy. That's what God wants us to do. And ultimately, here's the attitude that he wants us to have. You want to know why God called David a man after his own heart? Lust. Like, that's the story of lust in the Bibles. David and Bathsheba. And no man can relate to that. Standing up on the roof of the castle and look down and see a perfect woman bathing. We would all go, oh, I can't believe it. We would have no thoughts of looking on that. And here's David, the ultimate example of adultery and then murdering her husband, the whole nine yards. And God says, that's a man after my own heart? How? How can that be? Let me show you David's heart. Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge I encourage you go home and read all of Psalm 51 that's the heart God wants us to have in these matters, ladies and gentlemen. That's the heart. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What do you think Jesus was talking about? Not just when a loved one dies, my friends. Blessed are those who come before God broken, meek. I'm a sinner. God, I'm undone. I'm an unclean man. No, we want to justify ourselves. We want to justify everything. There's no justification. The only justification we have is in the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we share communion together this morning, I hope it's sweeter than it's ever been to you. Especially you dudes. You got hammered today, you know. That's what you get. That's what you get. That's what we get. Bunch of donkeys, aren't we? Bunch of donkeys, you know what I'm saying? Great message, pastor. He still speaks through donkeys, you know what I mean? That's it. That's the only response any pastor should ever give. Someone says, that was a great message. Well, you know, I'm very learned. No, you're an idiot. You sicken me, you bag of skin. <laughs> right? Come on. Who are we? We just stand and live before Almighty God free because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We stand free. We stand guiltless. And we can just live our lives to the best of our ability and seek to serve him. And when we fall, we can immediately get back up and repent and move forward because of what Christ has done for us. Justify myself. I'm a good person. No, I'm not. 
I'm not a good person. Even Jesus said, no man is good except for God. Good teacher, why do you call me good? There's no such thing as a good teacher or a good person. Tell that to our culture. He was a good person. No, he wasn't. We are none of us good. This is super popular, by the way. Expect to see this on YouTube this week. Eight million followers, no doubt. (laughs) You're all a bunch of sinners. We are. That's not to condemn. I have not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. And there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. What's our job? Get them in Jesus Christ. I don't care what they're involved with. Any sin you look out at with a haughty, judgmental attitude, you got the problem. And I hope this place gets filled with hookers and drug addicts and transvestites and every other manner of sin so we can preach to them the love of Jesus, that he loves you passionately as much as he loves me. And he wants us all to walk together openly and honestly before him. Well, let's pray. For heaven's sakes, 10. I had more, but that's enough for heaven's sakes. Um, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for you. We are undone. And people of unclean lips. Um, And you've washed us in the blood of the Lamb. And you've cleansed us. And you look at us and you see the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. Because you're that great. So Lord, as we offer our hearts to you this morning, Father, and our souls and our lives. We pray that you'd come into this place and come into our hearts and fill us up and that you would make us the people that you need us to be, Father, open and honest before you. Who we are in Christ is just us in Christ. And Lord, we ask that we would have a a celebration in our hearts this morning as we share communion, knowing that because of what Jesus Christ did that night, we have this great salvation. And we have this hope, and we have the forgiveness of sins, and we have a relationship with you, and we have eternal life. Ah, Nothing can come between us, Lord. And you are always, always faithful, even when we're faithless. And you are always, always for us, Lord. We pray that you would help us by the power of your spirit to be for you. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's share communion. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he passed it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he passed it to his disciples and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the blood of the new covenant covenant. What new covenant? That you don't have to try to keep the law anymore. That you don't have to try to justify yourself anymore. That by believing in me, you are justified. That you stand justified in the presence of Almighty God. And on that day of judgment, when he says, is their name found written in the Lamb's book of life, I will not leave you or forsake you then either. And I will stand up and I will always count you as one of my own. That's the God we serve. And Jesus said, when you guys do this, do this in remembrance of me. And this was to be passed down through all generations 
of people who would be followers of Jesus Christ so that we could share a meal with Jesus the same way his disciples did. And my friends, he is more, he is as real or more real now than he was 2,000 years ago. And his presence here in the power of the Holy Spirit is no less real than when he physically sat with his disciples. See, we got to see something. I'm doubting Thomas, like literally, for heaven's sakes. I mean, nice name we got, right? For heaven's sake. I'm literally doubting Thomas unless I see it, unless I see it with my own eyes. Thomas, you've seen and so you believe. More blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Let me tell you what I believe even as doubting Thomas, that Jesus Christ is as here, much here today as he was with the disciples 2,000 years ago. And he lives in each one of your hearts through, his power, through the Holy Spirit. And he wants us to share this together this morning. And he wants it to be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's like liver and onions, okay? It's, some of you may like liver and onions. I apologize. But you're wrong, okay? It's disgusting. It sickens me. Okay, blood pudding. I don't know, some horrible, awful thing. Thanksgiving. This, this is a Thanksgiving meal. This is a Thanksgiving meal. Because he gave everything, everything, so that we could have eternal life. He gave everything so he could gain us. You are the treasure in the field. You are the pearl of great price that he sold and gave everything to purchase to himself. Wow. Me? I mean, have you seen me? <laughs> I mean, really? Really? Have you watched me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You see, he doesn't see us with the eyes that everyone else sees you with. He doesn't even see you with the eyes you see yourself with. And sometimes that's in your favor and sometimes it ain't. What he sees is hearts of faith or hearts of stone. And he loves hearts of faith. He loves the hearts of stone too. But salvation is for the hearts of faith. And so with your heart of faith, let's share a meal with Jesus Christ this morning. Amen? Amen? Come on up, guys.